reading through the story, just keep that in mind. Try not to see yourself running around with Jesus, but see yourself with the majority. Um, so just by way of introduction, I wanted to kick it off just with talking about the, uh, the insane times I've been having downstairs. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have heard us. Who's been here the last few weeks? Have you heard some pretty crazy screaming coming from downstairs? <laughs> I'm disrupting the peace down there, and there is some of the most passion and excitement I've ever seen, and it is being stirred up by things that have nothing to do with me, and I'm just witnessing it. So I go downstairs like a couple weeks ago with the youth, junior high, high school, and I like to just kind of get, get a little energy going, so... We turn on the big screen, and there's YouTube on it. So I ask them, you know, all right, you guys pick. You guys pick the first video we're going to watch today. And it gets the kids going pretty wild because, you know, if I go straight into trying to teach, they're just, you know, snoring. So I'm like, okay, what's an awesome YouTube video? And I, one kid said it, and then everybody was in on it. I thought we were going to have a battle. But everybody wanted it, and they're just yelling, hamster race, hamster race, hamster race. And I'm like, what? Can you turn this mic down just a little bit? I don't know. Is it okay? Sounds fine. So they won the hamster race. So I'm like, all right. I grab the Apple TV remote, and I'm like, hamster race. And something pops up. It looks so, like, basic and elementary. It's like a picture of a hamster with some toothpicks and some cardboard, and the kids start freaking out, and the name of that one was Squid Game vs. Hamsterious. And all the kids are like, yeah, Squid Game, Squid Game. This means nothing to me. I'm just like, what is going on? Squid Game, Squid Game. So I click on Squid Game, and what I noticed was this, vi this video had 42 million views. I'm like, some junior hire is making big money, and he just like turned his school project into a YouTube video, and it's the hype right now. Everybody's loving this thing. So we push play, and that's when the madness breaks out. You guys all heard it. They stood up. They're just like, go, 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 let's go. You know, They all apparently picked their hamsters before I even knew it. And they were just cheering like, go whitey, go whitey, go yellow with black spots, go black, go. You know, and they're just like screaming. You guys heard it, right? It was insane. And I was like, you guys, this is pre-recorded. You're obviously not making a difference. You know, it's hamsters. Hamsters don't even know they're in a race. They're just like wandering around, sniffing stuff. Like, but it was creating so much hype. And then the question. The question that transformed the whole experience for me. One of the boys looks over to me and goes, Oh, Seth, who's, which one hamster is yours? And I was like, might as well play along, you know? All right, let's, so that hamster race was coming to an end. They're like, pause the screen, pause the screen. Everybody has to pick a hamster. So I picked my hamster. Everybody else picked their hamster push play again on the next race, and it was the weirdest thing. Deep inside of me, I exploded, and I was like, let's go! <laughs> it was just insane, you know? 
this experience, it stuck with me. I, didn't know, I don't know why, but by the end of church, I came up a little bit ashamed because I was like, I was disrupting the message. I think Abby was preaching or Gordy was preaching or Jack. I can't remember. Did I disrupt? Apparently not because nobody remembers. But it stuck with me and I went home and I started looking up some things like, why, why, how, how can this even be a thing, you know? Why are kids so hyped on this? And it actually took me to the world of adults. This is actually not a kid thing. Obviously, it was like pulling me in. And uh, how many of you guys have ever heard of superfans? Just the term superfan? Heard this? So I pull up an article. And um, I'm not bagging on this, okay? So try, try to believe that I'm not ripping on it because I think this is just kind of a phenomenon that happens. And uh, this article written by a psychologist pointed out what being a super fan is. And I totally get it because I think, you know, I am a super fan, I think. Because, like, you know, I grew up watching a super fan. My dad, you know, come home from church, turn on the Vikings game, and we're hyped. Screaming at the screen, it doesn't matter if it's pre-recorded, it doesn't matter who we're playing, it just mattered, you know, and it impacted how we feel, it impacted the rest of the day, it impacted how I felt about myself, like, if the Vikings won, I was going to school proud, you know, like, raising the flag, if the Vikings lost, I'm like hiding, because my friends all know I'm a Viking fan, and, you know, so... I was understand. So this is the article. I just want to read a quote to you guys. So this is what um, the psychologist said. He said, "You guys can Google it. It's called uh, it's called the inside inside the mind of a superfan." So he said, "It's a major part for some fans of how they define themselves. So when you get that wrapped up, that connected emotionally to anything." The consequences of that thing are going to be felt personally, okay? So this is something that happens in all of us. We identify with something. And once you do that, it can happen really fast, or it can happen throughout a childhood. It can happen throughout five, ten years. Um, for me, with my hamster, man, I was all about it. I was like, I'm winning! And it's like, no. No, that has nothing to do with me. <laughs> but it did. You know, that's the phenomenon of it. Because we feel it so powerfully. And, um, you know, you guys are probably witnessing it today. Going home, watching football. No, nope, no football fans in here. Any football fans in here? Go Vikings? Go Eagles? Oh, Ken, this is our game this week. You got to watch it together. Monday night, Vikings, Eagles. Um, so we're coming into this part of Acts. Just hang with me right here where the majority of the culture has identified so personally with Judaism. Okay, like I don't know if there's anything we can compare it to our day because we're so blended. But literally Jerusalem was a Jewish it was, it was run by Judaism, even in politics. Like, the, the political leaders and the religious leaders were the same people. The economy of Jerusalem depended on the temple, like literally. Um, 
And for thousands of years, they've been telling stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these fathers, these kings, these prophets who are our family. This is our family. And it becomes deeply personal when it's literally blood. And then um, the message is that we, we are the people that are carrying, you know, the truth, the light that the whole world needs. It's a pretty powerful identity, you know, even though Israel was one of the, probably the smallest nation on earth, they were very powerful people, and they had a very powerful identity in their story, and in their teachings, and in their, every, you know, everything. You guys get it. So... We're going to jump into Acts, start reading. So this is what happens when um, Jesus and his few guys start to change the story in the city. So you can understand that, like, there's gonna, we're going to see some offense. It's going to kick right off with some jealousy. And then let's just go, let's just go through it. So, um, yeah. So Acts chapter 5, verse 17. It says, then the high priest and all his associates, all the leaders, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They're not just going to let this slide. This is like deep offense to the family because of what they're teaching. And they arrested the apostles and threw them in jail. Like, it was that bad. Keep going. But during the night... Um, all right, here we go. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail, brought them out. So, and he, uh, the angel said, go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. So, they tried, they tried something that usually works. You just snatch the guy and slam him in Davy Jones' locker, and normally that does the trick, you know. That'll keep somebody. But they woke up the next day. And they're free, and they're still teaching about this new life. And I, it just jumped out to me. It's very specific in saying what they're teaching. And they're not just talking about um, something that happens after you die. They're not just talking about um, their own people. Jesus was very radical in redefining um, one of the things he said, I just want to point out in teaching this new life, Abby, if you can throw up John chapter 15, verse 14. We, we read over this really quick, but he says, you're my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. And this is one of the revolutions that Jesus started was that God isn't some king that you have to fear and appease and win. Actually, it's a friend. God is a friend. You know, Jesus, a friend of sinners. It's common. But at the time, it's like when you think about God of the Old Testament, when you think about the stories, you think about the violence, the things, um, it portrayed something that Jesus said wasn't true. Yes, those are the stories. Yes, that's the history. But actually, the character of God 
is just like me. And the New Testament tells us that. When you watch Jesus, that's exactly what God is like. And God is not something to, um, you know, a lot of cultures throughout human history have always thought you need to sacrifice to God with blood, with gnarly things, because God's mad. Jesus is like, nope. <laughs> so this is my first announcement to you guys is if we want to be in line with Jesus, God's not mad. When you picture how God is looking at you, approaching you, is God mad at you? Big question, you know? Like we can brush it real quick. Is God mad at you right now in this moment with what happened last week, last month? What happened this morning? Is God mad at you? You can think that, but Jesus put on display God's a friend. The source of life, the fountain of joy, the fountain of peace is approaching you like a friend. Peace is a friend. Strength is a friend. Joy is a friend. That doesn't need to be bought or struggled or and the, the other radical thing that really affected their economy is Jesus said, you know what you're doing going in the temple into the holy of, you know, you're trying to get close to God, but I have an announcement for you. You don't need to go in that temple. I'm teaching, and we're going to go into it a little bit today. But Jesus pointed out every individual can access God directly. And this is a big part of the message. So Immediately, if you start obeying Jesus' teachings, you're not bringing sacrifices to the temple, you're not bringing animals, and you're disrupting their economy. No wonder they're angry at this. You know, and so this new life that Jesus is teaching, it's a way of life to learn and to practice. And what I discovered is I tried to practice this way of life as I was living in villages in Fiji for six years, is that no matter if I'm living in Fiji or if I'm Park City, that way of life works. <laughs> and there's peace and there's healing and it helps you navigate conflict. It helps you build your relationships instead of just breaking them and torching them. But it's serious, you guys. There is something to do when you follow Jesus. I think part of our message of trying to get rid of legalism over the last hundred years, we almost reacted a little too far by saying you don't have to do anything. And it's true, you don't have to do anything to win God's love. You don't have to do anything to win forgiveness or whatever. But you do have to do something to live that life. It's, Jesus says it many times, every word you speak matters. Huh? And, and then you experience the fruit. Without, he's not condemning you for it, but there's a way, a way to live. Um, let's keep reading that story. So picking up in verse 21. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together, this is the big word, the Sanhedrin. This is like, you know, the group. This is the, the judge with the, it's called a gavel. The, it's judgment time. They called together the Sanhedrin, 
the full assembly of the elders of Israel. They're not messing around with this little group teaching heresy and teaching stuff that's messing up their city. And they sent to the jail for the apostles. So they still think they're in jail. Let's keep going. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. They went back and reported. Keep going. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. We couldn't trap them. They're slippery. They're slippery guys. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. It's like, okay, they tried to put one plan to action. It's not working. So now they're going to level up. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, still doing it, still teaching. They're not afraid. <laughs> they're, still, they're still teaching about this free freedom and love and this friendly God, you know? This is not good. Keep going. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. Keep going. A few more verses. Uh, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Um, let's keep going. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have, failed, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Let's keep going. Oh, no, we'll just stop right there. I want to point out, okay, what we're seeing right here is leadership starting to need to get tricky. They need to, you know, um, what's the word? They're, they're, uh, they wanted just to go out and pound these guys. But because the people, you know, they're playing politics now. Okay, some of our people are actually going with them. So if they see us come out and pound them, they're going to hate us. So now they're needing to play some tricky chess, some, some politics. This is what happens in authority when uh, what they think needs to happen isn't happening. And I want to just, it's a big warning sign when um, people you are submitting yourself under, whether it's religion, whether it's at work, whether it's whatever, are censoring your experience for you. And I'm not talking about like raising kids because, you know, obviously when we raise our kids, we protect them, we keep them safe. But there comes an age when you need to know the truth and you need to have the freedom to make it your decision. You know, um, it's not right for the business, for the boss to hide things from his employees. Um, eventually, it's not going to bear good fruit. And so we're seeing this trickery happening and I think, you know, this can happen even in something as small as a marriage relationship, you know, like, oh, man, okay, my wife's not going to be stoked on this, so I'm going to pad it a little bit, and I'm going to give a little story, give some smooth, you know, maybe do the, you know, whatever. It's just, it was a good check for me to ask, when do I start playing the game, you know? And it's very burdensome to not let, reality just be reality you know to have to what's the word like um curate 
When you're trying to curate someone's experience, oh, it's draining. And that's what a lot of church is. Sad to say, like throughout thousands of years, it's a group of leaders trying to get people to do a certain thing and really stressed out and really burdened and really trying to make the decision for you. No? So let's keep, keep going a little bit. Um, I want to point out part of Jesus' message is that your decision is very sacred, and it's your decision. And let me ask you, so when you guys are searching through life, where do you go for your compass? You know? You know what I mean? Like, what's your truth teller? Maybe, you know, in the dilemmas of life, you don't know what to do. What do you do? Go to our church leaders. You know, it sounds really good, but this isn't a story of that. This would shut the whole thing down if <laughs> they didn't. Where do you go? Serious. Maybe you have a friend. Um, let's read this verse, and this is like one of the most powerful nuggets we can take home, I think. Um, Abby, pull up John 14, verse 15 through 17. This is how Jesus casts what life with God looks like, okay? If you love me, keep my commandments, verse 16, and I will ask the Father. And I just love how he says, like, I'll just ask God. I'm not going to go fast for 40 days to get him to listen to me. Jesus did that, but that wasn't the purpose of his fasting. I'm just going to ask him because that's how relationships work. And he will give you another advocate, some translations say a helper, to help you and be with you forever. Keep going. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, you know, because the world has an agenda. The world can't give that kind of freedom. It's really hard because the world needs to, you know, do their thing. Um, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Where is the spirit of truth live? According to Jesus Christ. Inside of you. This is pretty gnarly, powerful stuff. Well, what about the elders of the Sanhedrin? You know? Because back in the day, they would submit everything to their authorities. There's even movements today. Before you make a life decision, you got to go... Seek the elders. I had a friend call me last week, and she's like, Seth, she, she went to Bible school with me like 15 years ago, and she's like, Seth, this was so crazy. Me and Kyle, you know, we found ourselves, you know, a part of this Christian church, and it was awesome, but then all of a sudden it got super weird, and before I could even decide if I wanted to go to church, I had to like go meet with a group of these guys. You know, they had a special name for them, and they, you know what the name for them was? It was something like the Holy Spirit's, the Holy Spirit's counsel. And I'm like, er, this is exactly the opposite of what Jesus is talking about. Because we love to give our responsibility for a decision to someone else. Because we're going to listen to them, and if they blow it, or if the decision wasn't right, who do we blame? It's easy. You can just go, ah, that pastor's terrible. He told me the wrong advice. We love blaming people. Oh, I don't listen to my dad. 
But what if you took ownership for your decision? What if the spirit of truth can't be outsourced? You know what I'm saying? It can't. You can't go somewhere to ask. You know, your life is so personal and sacred and unique. There is no one like you. There is no one facing your circumstances. There is no one raising your kids. There's no one working your job. There's no one facing what you're facing. So how is anybody else going to tell you what you need to do? <laughs> how, is, how can anyone else even judge you? They don't know what it's like to be in your situation. As much as I would like to say, I know what Gordy's going through. If I was Gordy, I'd just do this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you are out of reality, you know? Because following God is about just aligning ourselves gently, but powerfully to reality and learning how to treat others and treat ourselves in reality. And then what happens is something new is love. But it's not us. I, want to, I have another announcement to you guys. God's movement in your spouse's life is not up to you. God's movement in your kid's life, you don't have the control. God's movement to your crazy neighbor, you know, he needs to open his mind. You don't have the power to open his mind. So you can grab and yell and stress and throw in psychological jail, whoever you want to. But it is not how things work. And that's not how God wants to work. And so there's one more verse that's so good. John 16, verse 7. This is so cool. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. This is Jesus speaking. Unless I go away, the advocate will not or cannot come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. So what does Jesus do? Because Jesus wants God to lead this movement. Jesus wants God to lead his friends. So what does he do so God can lead his friends? Give some space. <laughs> this is the opposite. You guys, the spirit of religion and pride closes in on your, you're going to be tempted to grab that relationship and change the information, force things, promise things, wager, bargain to make someone make the right choice. That's just, that's our flesh. This is how God moves. Jesus says, it is good for you for me to exit the scene. And I want you to go to your source of truth. This is another thing that would almost be classified as heresy to, you know, the evangelical pillars of truth. Trust what's deepest in your heart. Where is the spirit of truth? In the center of your being. I'm not saying your heart is in the jungle. Your heart has crazy stuff in it. There's crazy emotions. There's weeds and thorns and oceans and mountains and beautiful things and ugly things. But the deepest place in you, this is the revolution, is that that's God. This is Jesus' teachings.
You can disagree with it if you want. That's fine. And he gives you total permission to say, no, I don't want to take responsibility for myself. I need to go to my church leaders and wherever you can do that. That's, if you need to do that and identify yourself that way, there's thousands of people doing that. But there came a place in my life where I had to stop just doing whatever my coach told me, my dad told me. And I actually started to grow when I started to make my choice. And good parents share their perspective. Good parents help their, they help their children tap into their heart, their deepest center, and then they let them choose, you know? Good friends do that. One of the most dangerous phrases you guys can ever hear, and it sounds so good, God told me to tell you. Dude, that is so gnarly. And I, it's the best intentions, it's the best heart. We're, we're imi- I've said that many times to lots of people. Hey, man, you know, and I was like, I prided myself on being bold, and I was an evangelist, and I'll just fly in there, and I'll tell you you're wrong, you know. I'm out of step with the spirit of love. I'm moving in my own strength. I'm moving in my own ego. God told me to tell you, well, why doesn't God just tell me? No? You're outsourcing the most sacred gift given to you, your compass from God. It's, I want to read a quote from Dallas Willard. This is such a good practice for us and something I've really tried to do. Like in the last, if I didn't come across this, I'm pretty sure I would have just really hurt my wife in our marriage because I was so manipulative. I, you know, and I came across this and just sit on it. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but Dallas, he gives us a practice here. So he says, just one, one more preface is, this is based off of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is talking about manipulation. So Dallas says, but Jesus goes right to the heart of why people swear oaths. We knew that they do it to impress others with their sincerity and reliability and thus gain acceptance of what they're saying and what they want. It is a method of getting their way, you know, like making promises and whatever. They're declaring some promise or purpose or some point of information or knowledge dear to them, you know. Give, give that to you. You really do care about this. They want their hearers to accept what they say and do what they want. So they say, by God or God knows, to lend weight to their words and presence. It is simply a device of manipulation designed to override the judgment. And this is the part that God will never do to you, any human. Override the judgment and will of the ones they are focusing upon. To push them aside rather than respecting them and leaving their decision and action strictly up to them. This is love. Dude, and it's, it's rare to see this these days. And Jesus says, just ask. Just ask God. In the same way, just ask people. And I've practiced this, and it's pretty powerful. It's way more powerful than me trying to scheme up stuff. But... You know, for example, like, 
You know, I'll just say, this is done to me a lot. Like, we, as we have our nonprofit in Fiji, serving in the villages, helping needs, when someone comes to me and just says, Seth, you know, will you help me buy some groceries? And that's it? Dude, I can, I, I, don't, I usually can't resist that. You know, it's just so powerful. It's so uncomfortable. Like, just think about how uncomfortable it is when you guys pull up to an exit on a freeway and someone's just chilling there. Will you help me? Holding their cardboard sign. It's like, oh, look, uh, it's so uncomfortable. It's, I got to look away. Don't make eye contact, you know, because all they're doing is asking. A simple ask is so powerful. I've, I've asked bosses, you know, can I work for you? it and it's just like yeah I think you can let's do it you know (laughs) or like do you do you whatever it is but this week really try to think about the way you're interacting with people and just respect totally respect their decision and just present and ask and the funny part is trusting God committing your life to God and trusting God is a matter of releasing your control and trusting that a simple ask, even if it's shut down, it's going to lead to better fruit. I can manipulate this person. I can do this and that, but it's going to lead to bad fruit. To Jesus, your method is just as sacred as the outcome. There is no, you know what I'm saying by that? There is no ends justify the means with Jesus. And I'll say it like this. There is no ends justifies the means with love. And this will peel back a lot of things when we just sit with it. Um, so just, I just wrote down a really simple question. Do we practice giving each other space to make decisions? No, you can write that down. What did you talk about at church today? It's pretty simple. <laughs> you know, the hard part is when our identity is attached to this outcome, and we got to get people to do something specific for this outcome. You're not free. You're burdened. Okay. Abby, throw up. This is, this is the whammy verse right here. Verse 29. We're going to finish the story right here. This is heavy words. Peter and the other apostles replied to their city and church leadership. We must obey God rather than man. And then the very next verse just says it. Oh, wait. Oh, it'll... it'll, Okay. Uh, their response comes after. But then they give a little speech, you know. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. They're just stating what happened. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Peter is just saying his message. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And he's just telling them the same thing. We don't need you to be our Holy Spirit. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. You know, 
this is like the stick it to the system moment of like, your words aren't God, you know? I think there's like a movie, like 10,000 BC. You guys ever see that movie? There was like this king that ran this Egyptian city. At the very end, this warrior runs up and he goes, you are not God, and heaves this spear and, you know, all the movie stuff. But it's just like, it, the point is, everybody treated this, this person as God, but he wasn't. You don't, you don't, there's, to, each of us have chosen someone to be God for us. Maybe it's God, maybe it's another person, maybe it's another denomination, maybe it's another book. Um, one guy asked my friend, like, my friend was telling me this, he's like, yeah, this guy came into my church, and he said, hey, give me the, we need our, our voters pamphlet. And my buddy, who's like a church leader, was like, huh, excuse me? He's like, no, just tell us who the church is voting for, and, you know, everybody else just votes the same. And my friend was like, we don't do that. Where are you, where are you from? And he's like, what do you mean? This is a fake church, and he left. He's like, this ain't church. But that's real. We're trained by our institutions, you know, in these ways. And some of them are very subtle. Some of them are very overt. You know, it's cultural. It's shaming. Like, pay attention when you feel shamed for making a choice that you know you need to make. That's a moment, you know? I don't know. You know, maybe it's not the best decision, but it is a moment to go deeper, go deeper, go deeper. And you guys... Let's not give away our choice anymore, you know? Own it. Like, yeah, took the wrong job. All right. Moving on. <laughs> Try again. This is Jesus' attitude. He says, put this to practice. Just practice, practice, practice it. Oh, dude, I couldn't resist myself. I just yelled at my friend. Yep, you did. All right, next, next encounter, practice some compassion. Okay. You know, that following Jesus is a way of life where there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation in Christ. There's growth. There's practice. There's truth. And there's that sacred space for you to do it. For you to do it for you. And that's, that's the only, you know. So here's, here's the point. Let's keep going. This is... This is awesome. Somebody stands up and just drops some serious truth. But a Pharisee, he's actually a good guy, even though we, we tend to hate Pharisees, right? But this guy's pretty awesome. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, he actually trained Paul. He, he was like the Jedi master for Paul, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little bit. You know, just picture this old guy like, all right, enough of this. Just, you guys go. And he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody. About 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All of his followers dispersed. It all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, led a band of people in the revolt. He too was killed. All his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these guys alone. 
This is why. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. There's no struggle in this. We get really wrapped up in our human movements and our human dilemmas. It's just going to pass. And what is going to stay, it will fail. But if it is from God, you, you won't be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. have to ask ourselves, in my life, are there moments when I'm fighting against God? In the place of these men, protecting their culture, protecting their history, I will not allow my history to be, what's the word, tainted, disrespected, you know, my culture is going to be respected. That's what their heart was. But actually, that good heart was blocking the new thing. See what I'm saying? There's a deep trust. There's a, there's a vision to a, a mature spiritual person. God's, God's fruit is unshakable. Nobody's going to mess it up. You can't force it. You can't make it happen. You can't carry that burden for yourself. I used to have a savior complex of like, I got to save everybody, otherwise they're going to hell. It's pretty heavy. You know, so we come to this place where it's just like, where in my life am I pretending to play God? You know? Am I pretending to be the Holy Spirit for someone? Or am I releasing them, trusting that the way this goes Everything is going to be okay in the end. You know, why do I care so much? <laughs> Guys, I'm not, I don't doubt that you care about, deeply about some things. You care. You care. You care. You care. You care so deeply. You're passionate about things. You care. That doesn't impact whether it's going to last or not. Just is it aligned with love? The only thing that matters. You know, there's this beautiful verse, Joe, if you want to come up. This is the verse. We keep saying it. We bring it up all the time. Um, one of the best verses ever. If you guys only read one verse from Jesus, this will benefit you. Matthew 11. Yeah. 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'm doing it. We're carrying heavy burdens for each other that only God can carry. Heavy burdens to set things right, you know? Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. And this is what happens when you come in alignment with God. You'll find rest for your soul. What is stressing you the most right now? What is the biggest stress for you right now? You know, to put it another way, 
What hamster have you chosen to win, a ra- to win whatever race? What are you attached to? You know, you're so attached to this outcome. Maybe, maybe you're so attached to not allowing my family become a mess. Like, no, my family will not become a mess. So I'm going to clean this and do that and set this. Jesus wasn't concerned about the mess. <laughs> God is never concerned about a little mess. There's some serious messes. But that's part of it. Our job isn't to prevent the mess, control the mess. Our job, the only job that you actually really have, is to do put your effort inside of yourself, inside of your heart, and grow in love. Toss out manipulation. Toss out the need to accomplish something. You know? That actually weighs you down. Toss out the fear of my kid is going to go off and make so many bad choices that they're just going to be gone. It's not true. Let them make a mess for a second. (laughs) So... I just love, I love what Gamaliel, Gamaliel pointed out. You know, it's such a powerful truth. Let the fruit play out. The fruit is what matters. The fruit is what is going to draw people. The fruit is what is going to show you have some work to do. The fruit is our sifter. The outcomes are not in your control. And so just maybe as Joe's singing this last song, this is such a good song. I really think... Oh, man. I really think the work that needs to be done is just you with you. Just you with you. This isn't for anybody else. This is for you. Oh, I'm going to get my wife to listen to this. No. You. <laughs> so during this song, I'm gonna do it myself, but I'm just gonna ask, what have I what hamster have I attached myself to that I need to win so bad? And just ask God to release me from that. Release that. If the Vikings lose, that's fine. <laughs> it's not it has no reflection on me. The truth. You know, if my business crumbles can't control everybody. I could do my best, but, you know, if it succeeds, that's awesome too, but let's just do some inner work on ourselves this morning, this week, and um, I just say this in the name of Jesus. Amen.